0: When I applied my heart to know wisdom, and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and to the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white, let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love, all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life, and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Father, Lord, we do thank you for your word. we thank you for the hope that it gives us. Lord, we just thank you for the people that you've brought to this church. Lord, we do thank you for Pat and Dave. We thank you for how you've used her gifts in a unique way at this church. So, Lord, we just pray you can bless Dave and Pat and just strengthen them and encourage them. But Holy Spirit, pray you help us now, right now, to just be open to your word and you'd speak to us. You change us and you work your will in us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The last, this entire fall, we've been going through a study of Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is really about a man's search for the meaning of life who was a very intelligent uh, man. The Bible says he was uh, the, a son of David, he was a king of Israel, he was. He's like a philosophy teacher. He was a, they call him the preacher. And his whole plan is to explain to us, as he looks at life under the sun and trying to figure it all out, what does it all mean? What's the meaning of life? And he's searching and he's trying to discover. And what he finds as he goes through it, and what we have found is that he just comes up with more questions all the time. There's more questions. He doesn't give many answers. He gives a lot of questions. The book of Ecclesiastes is a book of wisdom literature. It's not written to give us all the answers. It's not That's not the point of it. It is to create in us the questions and help us think through the questions that we all have in life and help us to trust God with our questions, even when we don't always know what is taking place. Because it's easy to get lost, isn't it? And when we were looking through life, it is easy to get lost. Last Saturday, uh, Sunday night, I was driving around. I've lived here a long time. I was driving through Lake Holiday at night. I don't live in Lake Holiday. Uh, so I was trying to find someone's house. Uh, and I was driving in all these different roads and getting lost and very frustrated. I couldn't get through. So finally, I thought I had to call somebody and say, hey, how do you get to your house? And they guided me to their house. That's exactly uh, what Ecclesiastes is doing for us. He's looking at life, and he's saying, I'm a little bit confused. I got all kinds of questions. It seems fleeting. It seems meaningless. It seems like it's filled with vanity. I I can't figure this thing out. I'm getting stuck all over the place. And he helps us out, and he says, you know what? I don't want you to have to take these roads and get lost. So what I did, and what he did was he took those roads for us, and he's tried to guide us through these roads. And one author said, these are some of the roads But he's taking us down. He's taking us down the road of wisdom. Just trying to have knowledge, pleasure, living for the moment, right living, just living if you live morally and with integrity, work, wealth, honor, and power. Those six things, wisdom, pleasure, right living, work, wealth, honor, and power. He said, I'm going to take all those roads. And he did that. He drove down all those roads. And he's been driving down all those roads to see if any of them, Give him real meaning and real satisfaction in life. And what he says, and what we have found, is that none of them, none of those things will give you the ultimate satisfaction in life that you want. But the truth is, those are the same roads we keep driving down. So my question to think about this week, and as you think about even today, which of these six things, wisdom, pleasure, right living, work, wealth, honor? Which path do you frequently take to find the purpose and value in life? Which one of those is your natural bent to say, if I'm going to find some satisfaction and pleasure in life, I'm going to go down this road and this is the one I usually choose. Or you could say it another way, which one of those six things is a idol in your life? Which is the dominating thing of your life? Which if it was stripped from you, you would be screaming like a little kid. Michael uh, Regan, a great, a good comedian, he has a st- joke about this guy who's walking with his son one day and they're at the zoo and his son had a helium balloon and he's walking with the helium balloon and the, the balloon goes, lo- he loses the balloon and um, the kid just starts screaming, ah! Ah! and the dad looks at him and he's like, Knock it off, it's just a balloon. And Michael Regan goes, Yeah, well, take your wallet out. And let's see it flying up in the air and let's see if you don't start screaming too. It's all about perspective. And which one of these roads of wisdom, pleasure, right living, work, health, or wealth, power, if it was taken from you, that's the you would be lost. You would feel you wouldn't know where to go. That's what the author is trying to get us to see. We all take one of these roads. Our personalities may all be different, but there's something in there. We all say, if I just get this. I'll be satisfied with life. Where ultimately, he's trying to point us and say, you know, the number one passion, the number one focus of our life needs to be Jesus Christ and his glory being shown through you. That's what he's been trying to guide us to. But as we get to the last few chapters of Ecclesiastes 9, he starts to just look at life. He is a frustrated philosopher. He's a frustrated teacher, preacher, because he's been experiencing these things, trying to look at life under the sun, and, and they've they've gotten to him. And he's looked deeply for these things, and, and he's frustrated, and he's starting to repeat some of the same things he's said before because he's frustrated with life because it is meaningless. And he's trying to see that in his own life, and he's trying to paint it for us, and it says, what's the purpose of life? It's all meaningless. It's fleeting. It doesn't last. So what's the purpose and meaning of life? And there are many, many people still trying to figure that out. I watched an interview this week with Art Garfunkel, who was from Simon and Garfunkel, the old band from the 60s. Art Gar- Garfunkel, he's probably in his 70s now. He's a prolific reader. He's been keeping a track of how much is he, he's read. He reads from all different genre, genres, reads two books a month. He's read over 1,000 books in his lifetime. And in this interview, he just said, what is life? Uh, we just can't figure this thing out. He's lost. He's looking, and he can't figure out what's the purpose and what's the meaning of life. And so what he has said so far, the preacher, the teacher, he said this, this is the one thing he's figured out about life under the sun. He says, life is a weary business and it's impossible to know for certain what God is doing in the world. If anyone to tries to tell you differently, if anyone claims to have figured it out, the meaning of life, to, or have to unlock to the secret plan of God, he is only telling you a lie. And there may be different perspectives and different ways you try to figure it out. But the reality is, even for us as believers, we can't figure out life. It is baffling and confusing. We say constantly, I never thought that would happen to me. I never thought I'd see that person end up there. I never thought this would take place in my life. That's life. We don't know what God is doing. And he comes to this chapter 9, and he's reviewing it again, thinking about wisdom And he says this, the thing that really gets him the whole time is when it comes to life, the the thing that really bothers me and deep down really bothers all of us is that the same fate falls for all people. The same thing happens to all of us. No matter what road you take, no matter what plan you go down, at the end we all are going to die. And he he is struck like that. That's the same fate as all of us. There's 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 death, and there's this great fog of life in the midst of it. He says in verses eleven and twelve, Again I say that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right that the The strongest one doesn't win. That the smartest person who does all the homework doesn't always get the best grade. That the the person who works really hard, goes to school, gets master's degrees, doctor's degrees, ends up working at Cinnabon, while the guy who drops out of school gets a job where he makes hundreds of thousands of dollars. That doesn't make sense, does it? it? It doesn't seem right. But that's the way life works out, and it works out that way often for us. There's this great fog of life. Nineteen eighty four, the Olympics, Mary Decker, I don't know if anybody remembers her. She was a great American runner. She was supposed to win the race in the three thousand. And she was the favorite. She's got all the American records still today. And then there was a South African young girl named Zola Budd who ran barefoot. She was a great runner. They're in this big race. Everybody thinks Mary Decker's gonna win it. She's running well. All of a sudden Zola Bud trips her Mary Decker goes falling flat on her face, and everybody passes her by, and Mary Decker looks up with horror on her face, that this is not the way it's supposed to be. The fastest person doesn't always win, and all of us have stories about that in our own life. All of us know that there's this big fog of life, but on top of that fog of life, he says the biggest thing that really gets him is that... The fate of all of us is is death. Death comes to everyone. It just doesn't seem right. The wise, intelligent person who guards his life, works hard, he ends up dying. The guy who is lazy, does nothing entire life, he ends up dying. The terrorist and the innocent victim both end up dying. On November thirteenth, twenty 2015, two weeks ago on that Friday in one day the paris terrorist attacks took place there's a big earthquake in japan there's a funeral bombing in baghdad there's a suicide bombing in beirut and there was an earthquake in mexico all of those were newsworthy events and and that day two weeks ago friday the 13th november 13th 115,200 people that we know of just in those events alone died, extremely creative people and extremely wicked people, people who have worked hard in their life, people who wasted their life, all of them dead, and that's just the ones that we know about, on top of all the hundreds of thousands of people who have died in the last two weeks, and even as we speak, are dying right now. He says, this, is, this just doesn't seem right, but this is the fate of all of us. That everybody dies. Mary Slessor, who gave her life in India for 55 years to serve orphan children as a missionary, she lived and she died. Adolf Hitler, who spent his life trying to wipe out people, he lived and he died. Does that seem right? That Mary Slessor and Adolf Hitler shouldn't end up in the exact same fate that they both die? It doesn't seem right to us. But the reality is that is life. And he says, not only that, though, it, that, it's just so frustrating. That's the fog of life. That's the fate for all of us. But he says, it's better to be alive than dead, at least. He says, at least, at least for the living, there's consciousness. And for the dead, there is no, no consciousness. They're forgotten. And he's talking about life under the sun. If you just look at life apart from God, this is the only conclusion that you can come up with. It just doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. It's frustrating it is mind-boggling it seems meaningless there's vanity but it's just true the same fate happens for all and we have to deal with that and this consciousness that we have as being alive today should lead us to some questions because that is true for you too you are going to die no matter how good or how bad you live your life, you will die. And the question we have to ask is, where do I stand with God? And what he says confuses him and frustrates him. He says, the same fate happens for all. He believes in God. He says, but all this I laid to heart, examining it. how all the righteous and the wise and the deeds, they're in the hand of God. He didn't disregard God. He believed that they were in the hand of God. He believed in the sovereignty of God, But what he questioned was this, he said, it's the same for all. But he doesn't know if it's good or evil. It's the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and the unclean. But he doesn't know if it is for their good, if God loves them or is against them. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. There are a lot of people, and maybe you, who will say, yeah, I believe in God. I believe God exists. I believe God's real. But as you look at life under the sun, the question you can't answer, just looking at life under the sun, even if you believe in God, is Is this God for you or is he against you? You won't be able to figure that out. Because if you look at life under the sun apart from God, it is impossible to figure out if God is for you or against you. Does he love you or does he hate you? Because the same fate happens to all of this. Which makes us have to wonder, where do I stand before God? Which could create in some of you a false faith, which leads us to this false faith because there's this potential that we have this wrong conclusion about God in our own condition. So he says this in verse 3 this is an evil that is done under the sun. And also, the hearts of men are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live now he's starting to talk about the human condition that is in all of us the hearts of the children of men are full of evil even yours it's broken and it's bent and if you're honest with yourself it's naturally inclined to take care of itself over taking care of god's priorities we're naturally bent to take one of these other roads figure out what we want, instead of doing what God says. And so our hearts are filled with evil. And because of that, there's this opportunity. If you believe God, even if you've been in church all your life, you can come to this conclusion that what I need to know about God is that God is powerful, He's sovereign, He's great. And what can slip in there is this idea that if I just be good, and if I just do good, and I will then feel good, then I will be okay with God. It's this idea that if I'm just good, I'm just moral, because God's great, and he's powerful, and he is greater than me, and I do believe God exists. So I'm just going to be good. I'll do moral things. I'll be nice. I'll be good. I'll be a kind person. I'll be a helpful person. I'll give to charity. I'll find ways to serve in my community. And if I'm just being good, and if I'm doing good, that's going to help me feel good. And so God is just like this therapeutic buddy for me. That's not what the Bible says at all. If your idea of God in any way is just do good, be good, then you'll feel good, you're living life under the sun. And you've been blinded by many things. The Bible says that there is none righteous, no, not one. This idea that if I'm just being good, and I'm doing good, and there's worse people off than me, and I'm better than somebody else, and then I'm going to feel good. That, that is, in many ways, this, an attempt to manipulate God and try to get him to do what you want. You say, it's kind of arrogant to say that that is not the way I should live my life and that there's a different way. It's not arrogant to say that Jesus is the only way. It is a response to say that we need help. We need rescued from ourselves. Someone said it this way, biblical faith. True biblical faith. Listen, if you've been raised in church all your entire life, you're the one I want to really speak to about this. Because you believe in God. You think God's powerful. You've read the Bible. You know enough about the Bible to know that God is real. But your life may not be surrendered to that God. You may have this idea that I'm just being a good and moral person. If I'm just doing good things. And then I'm going to feel good about God, and God's going to feel good about me. And you can go to church all your life and miss out on the truth about God. Biblical faith is this. It's the radical abandonment of our whole being in grateful trust and love to God disclosed and found in the life death and resurrection of jesus christ so that we become his willing agents in a costly confrontation with everything every form of evil and unjust suffering in the world it's a radical abandonment of our whole being which means there is a time in your life if you're a follower of jesus where you had to genuinely repent where you saw yourself as a sinner. You said, I am, I need help and I need to turn from my path that I'm trying to live in life and I'm going to abandon it. And I'm going to repent. And it's trusting and loving and seeing who Jesus is. That Jesus died and he was buried and that he rose again. And by his death, burial, and resurrection, that's what gives us life. And putting our faith and trust in that. Not your good deeds, not your good thoughts about God, but trusting your entire life to that. And you're being a willing agent then. Where your life is different. Where your life is a desire to obey God. Not which you can get from God, but you just have a desire to obey God. Not perfectly, but that's your desire. And you're living your life that way. There's a repentance, there's trusting, and then there's obedience. Those are evidences that your life has been changed. It's not arrogant to say that Jesus is the only way, because Jesus is the only way. We are all wicked sinners at heart, selfishly wanting our own ways to try to find satisfaction in life. And Jesus says what we need is not doing more effort to be good or to do good or so we can feel good. But what we need is to repent and turn and trust in Jesus. And when you do that, you can have a whole new perspective on life, he says. Because then he says, go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. There's two ways to look at this passage. This is some people say one of the most negative and pessimistic passages of Ecclesiastes, where he could be saying, hey, there's nothing in life to live for. It's absolutely meaningless. It's futile. It's gonna. You're all going to die anyway. So just go eat, drink, be merry, and have fun as much fun as you possibly can have. That's, that's one way you could say he's saying that. But based off of the sin of individuals and the truth of Jesus, that's not what we need to do. But God does want us to enjoy life because of what Jesus has done for us. He says, and these are commands, go, eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. God wants us to have a new perspective on life. And only those who truly are following Jesus Christ really can even see this, see that life above the sun, that God has prepared for us a contentment. Eat your bread with joy. He has that for us and drink your wine. There's comfort for it. Let your garments be always white and there's companionship. Enjoy your life with the wife of your youth and your calling and your, whatever work you do, do it with all your might. These are all things that God has provided for us that he wants us to enjoy. And we are free to fight for joy in life. If we look at our own lives, even as Christians, if you've repented and have trusted Christ, there is much in life to confuse you and much to get you frustrated. And Satan wants you to be always down and discouraged by the difficulties of life. And God says, no, that's not my plan for you. What I do want you to do is to go eat your bread and drink it with joy. Enjoy your life. Satan's desire, the Bible says, is to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to give life and life more abundantly. When Jesus was tempted, he got baptized in John in Luke 4. He goes out into the he gets put away into the wilderness for 40 days. He's tempted. Satan comes to him. The first thing he says is, Turn that bread into food. And Jesus had been starving for 40 days. He had nothing to eat or nothing to drink. He was hungry. And Satan wanted to say to him, Hey, you want some. Turn it into, you can do it. You can have control over your life. You don't have to listen to your father in heaven. You can control your life. He was tempted that way. And Jesus said no. And then he took him up to the top of the tower. And he said, look around. All this that you see, all these kingdoms of the world, I'll give it to you. Anything you want, I will give it to you. He's telling Jesus, hey, you can have everything you want. Your life doesn't have to be difficult. Your life doesn't have to be hard. You're the son of God. You can have anything that you want. Jesus said no. And then he took him down and he said to the top of the temple and he said, jump off. Just jump off. And God's going to prepare angels for you. He's telling Jesus, hey, you don't have to feel pain. Just, you don't have to feel pain. You're the, you're the son of God. Those are the same temptations that Satan tries to get us with. And he holds them out to us in different ways for different personalities. But he gets you up sometimes and he, if he'll show you the world Say, hey, just look at the world. Look at all that there's out there. Just walk away from God. And you can have it all. Or he'll say, Look at the world. Don't go out there. Just control yourself. Control your world. And you can be in charge of your life. Or he'll say, Hey, you can have everything you want. And you don't have to feel pain. If you're suffering in some way, that can't be from God. God would never have you suffer. And none of those things are what the Bible says. What the Bible does say is that in our pain, in our suffering, in our confusions of life, that God understands all of it, and he's with us in it. Psalms 56 says, You have kept, my, you have kept counting of my tossings and put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? God's put all your tossings, he's counted all of them, when you've been laying home at night, all worried about your job, your family, your marriage, your future, and you're tossing and turning in bed. You can't sleep or you're struggling with pain, and you're tossing and turning, and you think God's not there for you. God doesn't care for me. This is why am I living this life for God? It doesn't seem to get me anywhere. And by what God says, I'm with you. I'm counting every time you turn around. Every time you flip in your bed, I'm counting that. Every tear that you're crying, I'm collecting it. And I am with you, and I am for you. And we have a new perspective in life. God wants us to be enjoying our lives. When the day is good, we rejoice with joy. And when the day is rough, we consider that God is sovereign. When you have your life in Jesus Christ, you are free. You're really free to live all of life. As a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been rescued from the wrath of God, we are absolutely the freest people to live life. So when a difficulty comes, we are the freest people to actually feel all the pain of it. Because we know we have a Savior and a God who's there for us. So we can dive in and experience it and be all the way through. And when we have a great day in some gift that God has given us, we should be the happiest of all people, unbelievably thankful, always enjoying it, looking for ways to enjoy it because we have found jesus we aren't looking for these things to bring us satisfaction that's called simple faith is what the teachers oh ecclesiastes is trying to get us to see it's the fear of god it's this simple trust that god you're sovereign god you love me and i can live life with great joy and i can also live in deep pain with joy because i know god is for me and it makes us and should make us almost speechless with unbelievable gratitude and grace. A number of you know that a few years ago, Pat DeVries was dying. I mean, she was a walking skeleton. And she had, she was losing weight. She couldn't eat. She was in and out of the hospital constantly. She was still coming to church. We were planning her funeral. We had things all set up and scripted. She was cleaning out her house, giving things away. Doctors didn't know what exactly was wrong with her. And it was coming in weeks. And miraculously, through prayer and the grace of God, she's recovered from that. She's healthy and growing. And it's a speechless thing that she has great gratitude. But through this process... Her sister, not too long ago, sent her a quilt and blew Pat away. And she said it was speechless. And she wrote a book about it, a little booklet about the story. And I just want to read this to you. Her sister, Cindy, was a Christian. She had been doing this. She sent her this quote. And so Pat sent her this thank you note. And It says, while i'm ooing and aweing over this priceless gift this quilt and calculating in my head how much time and expense that it has, she has in it but mostly the time that it takes to quilt but on this king size version man so i'm thinking that Cindy wanted me to have this before our friend Sandy got too sick for me to think she thought Cindy sent it to her from for Sandy that made and that Sandy made it to her sandy is a master of quilting always is working on a few quilts teaching quilt quilting classes she quilted my cactus needle into a quilt and she has been up and down with sickness so i called my sister to thank her so i could thank sandy and she was just speechless she goes surprised, speechless my sister quilted this herself after picking up the phone off the floor drying tears i said what you oh my goodness she goes, now, a note on my sister. She hates, I mean, she hates sewing. One memory of mom's and mine of Cindy was that when she was in she was in home economics and she had to sew a dress, as Cindy would be measuring, cutting, sewing, ripping, sewing, muttering, mom and I, as we watched her sewing that darn thing, said, golly, Cindy hates sewing. Well, I wish her teacher could see this stitched masterpiece, Speechless. So when Cindy told me that she did everything, she did every single stitch, I was amazed, shocked, and truly humbled that she would then give me this absolute treasure. I am deeply humbled. I have done nothing to deserve this gift. Me, being a little bratty sister, who borrowed clothes without asking, butted in our friendships, endless horrible things that I did to my sister, that my sister would make something so beautiful for me to make it with her hands, just look at all those hand-sewn stitches, speechless. Then she did this for me, takes me, my breath away, brings me down to my knees with naked humbleness, with tears, unbelievable, speechless. And to try to explain the grandeur of this masterpiece. Six years it took Cindy to do this. When was the last time any of us worked on something for someone else with absolute love, with not wanting or expecting a repayment for six years, even a year? How about a month, a week, a day? Wow, speechless. Her time, effort, and perseverance in tackling this massive project is so admired. First, she went to class, taught by Sandy, and had to learn how to measure and sew in a mitered corner, got acclimated to the different patterns, and worked them into one design. Cindy spent many trips to the fabric store in search of the perfect colors and patterns of fabric, and as previously mentioned, Cindy worked on it when she wanted not to. When her hands were swollen, when she had big headaches, when she had ripped out the previous night's section and thinking I'm going to dump this thing, when she would so definitely rather be doing anything else, that Cindy did not give up even at those times when she was so very frustrated and tired, when she could be, she could have ditched the project. That Cindy, when I would badger her that she wasn't working on her needlepoint, would keep this secret and tell me Yeah, well, soon." That our mom was in on this wonderful kept secret when mom approving of the colors and designs priceless that cindy's granddaughters taylor and alexis encouraged her come on me mom when i was visiting the family in her home while pat was dying saying my goodbyes to all as i would as i was told i had a few weeks of life left that she then did not show me an unfinished work speechless As I struggle with how to give back something to my sister, how to try and express my deep and heartfelt gratitude, I realize that there are really no words, no cards, no gifts, nothing that I can give back to my awesome sister that would accurately describe and show what this gift of love absolutely really means to me. And as I write this amorous thank you to her, I realize that Cindy does not expect now or at any time in the last six years was expecting a gift back, priceless, speechless. Cindy wanted to give me something to show me that her, her absolute love for me For me, that's all. She knew that it would fill my heart up. She knew that I would treasure it forever. She knew it would show me her love for me. She knew all this, so she kept on stitching, kept on ripping and sewing, even when we would be visiting on the phone, and I would ask her what she was up to, and Cindy would say, oh, sewing. And yes, I would jest to her and say, you hate sewing. And she never gave up. Speechless. And then Pat goes on to say, there was someone who gave her a greater gift when her life was a mess and a complete wreck there was one who was greater than her Cindy her sister Cindy who would rescue her and it says in ecclesiastes chapter 6 chapter 9 At the end, wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. We are all sinners, and our lives have destroyed much good by one sin. But Romans chapter 5 says this, For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God, and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, So, by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Jesus, in his amazing love for us, which is absolutely scandalous and should make us speechless, went to the cross for our sins. He died so that we could have life and life more abundantly. So as we go through this wacky, crazy, meaningless, absurd life sometimes, tossing and turning, crying, we can know that he is there for us. He's rescued us. And we can delight and really enjoy life, which is what he wants from us. Do you have that light in you? Has your life been transformed by Jesus Christ? Has there been a time, a real time in your life where you saw yourself as a sinner, where you repented, saw Jesus for who he was, turned to him, asked him to be the leader of your life and turn your life over to him? And you've been born again. And you know the joy of life. If not this morning, right now, you can. But if you're a believer, we can often become very feel very speechless about the brutality and the confusing things of life and live in fear. But God calls us to look to Jesus and enjoy with grateful hearts the life he gives us and walk before God in the light of life. Are you trusting as a Christian or are you fearful as a Christian? Are you fretting over life or are you really enjoying life? On the good days, are you really enjoying life? And on the bad days, are you just considering the sovereignty of God? As a Christian, because of Jesus, we have nothing to be fearful for. We have great hope that will last now and forever. So we can rejoice and be unbelievably thankful today and this week.